0: we call objects what we call animals these labels they affect how we actually interact with them because i wouldn't try to eat a helmet but i would definitely try and eat a cake as an example for that let me tell you about my name so my full name is gary stuart smith it's a good name isn't it good strong name i'm not actually a big fan of it but it's a good name i read a few years ago the name gary was going extinct but it's making a comeback is there any gary's in the room today no we're going extinct there was one in antrim there was one in antrim but I went and looked up what my name means. So Gary is a Germanic name, um, which means spear, or as I like to, I prefer it, mighty with a spear. That's a great name. Sounds like a warrior. The name Gary, you know, as I say, it's always sounded a wee bit dorky to me. I've never really, never really liked it, never really carried it too well. But mighty with a spear, I'm all about that. I'm here for that every day of the week. Um, many years ago, Gary's were feared and respected. These days, a cartoon snail is the best that I get. Have you've ever seen Spongebob, the snail, the snail at meows is called Gary. That's what I get compared to. Uh, my middle name is Stuart, so I was named after the drummer in the police. Any music fans in the house? Yeah, not, yeah. That's who I'm named after, Stuart Copeland. Uh, my dad was a big music fan. He named my older brother Stephen after Stevie Nicks, which gave me great pleasure to make fun of him all the time. He made fun of me being called Gary, so I could say, well, you were named after a girl. So I got to make fun of him for that. So the name Stuart is of scottish origin so it means guardian so its root is found in the role of a steward so it's obviously to look after things to look after things well smith's an easy one who knows what that one means blacksmith yes of course comes from the blacksmith which means basically worker so that is my name put those three together gary Stewart smith uh, my name means warrior guardian worker that sounds pretty tiring Trust me, it really, really is. If I had a choice, I would have picked something different at the very beginning. My son is called Noah, which means rest. So I blessed him with that for the rest of his life. He will forever thank me for that. But speaking for myself and looking at the life that I have lived and the person I've become, I would say that's a fairly accurate description of the life I've lived and of who I've had to become in that life. And why do I tell you that? Well, as I've said, names carry meaning. And they help us, they carry understanding and they help us understand each other. And more importantly, this understanding, it affects how we understand and we relate to God. God's name carries significance to who he is. It carries significance to how we relate to him. Richard Dawkins, anybody remember him? He was big a while ago. He wrote a book called The God Delusion. He was the the hero of atheists everywhere in the early 2000s. He was all over Facebook comment sections, but he wrote this about God. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, petty, just unforgiving, control freak. Vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniac, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent, bully a lot of big words. I struggle to say that. But that's what Richard Dawkins sees. But what I see in God is the creator of beauty, the provider and the sustainer. He's loving, merciful, mighty, and just. He is righteous. He's exceedingly good beyond anything I could ever imagine. He brings peace, hope, joy to every situation. He goes above and beyond for his people and his will is good and perfect. He has never once let me down. There is no one in all of existence as good as my God. But I would say that we both read the same book. Richard Dawkins read the Bible as much as I've read the Bible, although I would argue that context is probably not his friend. Um, But we both read the same book, and we both came out with massively different views. And what we think about God really matters. A.W. Tozer, the writer, says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us what we think about God is the most important thing about us because we become like what we worship. That is how we are designed. We become like what we worship. What you think about God shapes who you are, whether you like it or not. Because our goal and our purpose in life is to become more Christ-like, to become more like God. So who we think he is is actually of critical importance. You know, Ian Somerville was preaching in Antrim a few weeks ago and he made a great comment about this. He said that he used to read the Bible to tell him all the things that he was right about. Now he reads it to tell him all the things he's wrong about, to get offended. If you're reading scripture, if you're praying, if you're doing all the good spiritual stuff and you find that God agrees with you on everything, then I'm sorry to tell you that you're not being formed in his image. What you're actually doing is trying to form him into your image. You're trying to create a God that looks like you, that walks like you, and that thinks like you. And this is what we do when we're left to our own devices. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve thought it was a good idea to try and make themselves like God, even though he told them not to. You see, in that moment when they took the apple and they took the bite, when they were told they could be like God. They made the assumption that they knew what that meant. They made the assumption that they knew what it meant to be like God. They had an idea about God that affected their destiny. So here's the thing. We don't actually know what God is fully like. No one has ever uncovered the fullness of who God is. There's a theological argument and debate to be had there as to whether that is even possible. But we can begin to learn what he's like. We can begin to uncover pieces of the puzzle bit by bit. But there's only one way to do that, that we have to go to the source. We have to go to him. So all of this build up, what actually is God's name? Spoiler alert, it's on the screen. It's been there the whole time. But let's go to the beginning of the story. From the very beginning, God has existed. We read the story of creation in Genesis, but we don't get anything close to a name for him until we get to a man named Abram, whose name is changed to Abraham. And that is a whole other sermon we'll not go into. But when God comes to Abraham in Genesis 17, he announces himself as El Shaddai, which means I am God Almighty. Which while it is close to a name, it actually isn't. And what God was doing here was introducing himself in a way that Abraham would understand. That word El that he uses was the Canaanite word for God as in any of the many gods that they worshiped. And God was saying to Abraham, I am God that is greater than all of the gods you've ever heard about. You know, I'm like those gods, but I'm actually so much more. I am God Almighty. And from this point forward, generally he's just known as the God of Abraham, which of course becomes the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob as we move through the story. So he's known to his people simply as your dad's God until we get to Moses in Exodus. And God appears to Moses in the burning bush and he sets him the very simple task of going back to Egypt and telling his people, you're coming with me. And it says in Exodus 3, 13 to 15, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up there. It says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I'm to be remembered throughout all generations. So God says his name is I am who I am. One of the things that I find really interesting in reading the bit of the background of this passage is actually understanding the original question that Moses asked God there. So when we read it in English, it seems very simple. Who, who's, who's sending me? What's your name? But when Moses asked God, who shall I say sent me? He doesn't simply ask that. He doesn't simply ask, well, what is your name? He asked this question in the Hebrew, which literally translated means, what is the meaning of your name? Or what is the significance of your name? Essentially, he's asking God, well, who are you and what are you like? And God kind of half answers the question when he responds with, I am who I am, which in the Hebrew is this phrase, "Eya Asher, Eya." But essentially what God is telling Moses here is I am who I am, or a better way to translate it, whatever I am, I will be. And what God is doing is revealing to Moses just a little bit of who he is. Not the whole thing, just a little bit because he's saying, you know, I am who I am. Basically God is God 24 seven. He is consistent. So if he is good, he is good all of the time. If he is gracious, he is gracious all of the time. If he is compassionate, he is compassionate all of the time. If he is slow to anger, he is slow to anger all the time. God is who he says he is. I don't know if you've ever had a friend that you thought you were really close to and you thought you really knew them, but then you find out some massive secret that totally changes the picture of their character. But God's not like that. God is the same all the time. Whatever God says he is, is true. So once you get to know God, Once you begin to understand who he is, that is actually what he is like. He doesn't ever change. And this can get all super complicated, but I'm gonna keep it simple for my own sake this morning more than anything else. But the name that God uses there, I am, that word, Eya, that's how God says his name. But when we say his name, we say the phrase he is, which roughly translated in a roundabout way, oversimplified, is this phrase Yahweh. That's the simple way of explaining it. God's name is Yahweh. He is. So in your Bibles, you'll notice this name is not written much, if at all. Um, When they did write it, they removed some of the letters because God's name was deemed too holy and too precious to write or speak. And it was abbreviated down. And down the line, it's been translated. So his name in the Bible now, mostly where it would have said Yahweh, you'll see it says this phrase, the Lord. The Lord. So a lot of the time, especially in the Old Testament, where you see that it says the Lord, it actually should say Yahweh. So from this interaction between God and Moses, we learn that God's name is Yahweh. He is, everybody say that with me, he is. Whatever God says he is, he is. Okay, you all still with me? We'll skip a little bit further into Exodus 34 and we see that God and Moses have another similar interaction to this. This time they're way out in the wilderness. They've escaped Egypt and they've made some pretty huge mistakes on the way. But Moses is up Mount Sinai and he's sort of conversing with God and he's trying to sort of paper over the cracks and smooth things over with God. And he asked God to show him his glory. You know, Moses wants to see more of who God is. He wants to see his face. If you have your Bibles, go to Exodus thirty-three, eighteen, where it says this. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, which should be Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And I want you to hold that last line to the side for a little minute. If you're making notes, just write that down. You cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. So Moses asked God to see his glory, to see the fullness of of who he is. And there's a pattern emerging here in God revealing himself to us through scripture. With Abraham, he gives just a little glimpse. He gives El Shaddai. I'm like the gods you know, but I'm so much more. Enough of the picture for Abraham to understand. He gets to Moses and he says, yes, I'm Abraham's God. I'm El Shaddai, that's me, but I am consistent and trustworthy. I am. And we get to the wilderness and Moses wants the whole picture. And I love this story because actually this has been one of my lifetime prayers as well. God, show me your glory. I want to see your face. I want to be that close. But God is gracious and he's merciful as it says. He doesn't grant that request because it would cost Moses his life. But he does give us more insight into who he is. And he gives us a little bit more of an invitation into understanding him further. And what happens is God says, you can't see my face. You can't see the fullness of who I am, but I will pass by and I will proclaim my name because his name carries significance to who he is. And here God answers the rest of Moses' original question at the burning bush. What is the significance of your name? If you have your Bibles again, Exodus 34, six to seven, says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So here we get more of a picture of what God's like. Before it was just, I am, I'm consistent. Whatever I am, that is what I will be. But here God declares that he is merciful, he is gracious, he is slow to anger, he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He keeps his steadfast love for thousands, forgives iniquity, transgression and sin, but at the same time he holds the guilty accountable. He is just. And he is all of these things all the time. This is what God is actually like. He is not what other people say he is. God is what God says he is. And in declaring his name, he is telling us who he really is. He's telling us what he is really like. You'll notice he doesn't list how great he is. He doesn't give us the job description. He doesn't list how much he knows. He tells Moses about his character. And this is where God's name, Yahweh, becomes important. It becomes important to us. And this piece of scripture that we have here becomes important to us because knowing God on a personal level is very different to knowing a bunch of facts about God. You see, we serve a God who wants relationship. We serve a God who invites us in, who wants to know us. And again, this started in the garden when Adam and Eve made the assumption that they knew what God was like. They set the course, but then God revealed himself to Abraham as God Almighty. He reveals himself to Moses as Yahweh, and then he went on further to reveal what that actually means. And this picture is slowly building as Yahweh interacts with his people. His name is declaring who he is and what is to come. His name is shouting to everyone who is willing to listen what is to come because his name declares the truth of what he is doing and has been doing on the earth from the beginning of time. The Israelites were in the desert. They were going through a pretty hard time. They were displaced from their home. They were wandering about and they were doubting if God really was who they thought he was. If this God that they followed really was the God that they had been taught about. You know, we can read the Old Testament and we can get really critical of the people of Israel. I know I have sometimes. I could read it, I could look at it, I could go, these guys seen an ocean split in two. These guys seen the Egyptians showering them with gold as they left Egypt. These guys had food provided every single day out of nothing. Still, they worshiped the golden calf. They saw miracle after miracle, physical battle after battle, that God would win for them, but still they didn't believe that God would come through for them. And time and time again in the Old Testament, Israel drifts away from God. They receive a sign, they return, and they drift away again. And we can go and read that, and sometimes I read that and go, you know, it must have been so easy for those guys. Like we're here and we're, sometimes we live in this world where the supernatural doesn't happen that often. And you look at it and you go, well, God, give me a sign. Give me something to hold on to. And that's what most of society says. They want some crazy sign to show them that God is real. These guys had that every day and still they turned away. And we can read it and we can feel to understand how they could not give God their everything. But there's a very important point in this picture that we often forget when we read the Old Testament. And it's that a personal relationship with God was reserved for those he chose. Prophets, priests, and kings. They're the ones that we read about. They're the heroes of the faith that we read about. The people had signs and wonders aplenty. They had evidence all around them that God was who he said he was but they lacked a personal relationship. And his name, Yahweh, as he revealed it to Moses, was an early invitation into that relationship. It was a signpost for what is yet to come. Because there is, of course, another name that is really important to us. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's the, the classic Christmas verse. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment in God's invitation of relationship. Remember when Moses asked God to see his glory and God said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. Compare that with John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And John, in the beginning of his gospel narrative, he's pointing us back to Mount Sinai. From the outset, he's making the point that in Jesus, we see the fullness of God's glory. We see his beauty and his presence like we've never seen it before. Jesus is Yahweh in human form. Further in John's gospel in chapter 17, Jesus prays this. He prays, I've revealed your name to those you gave me out of the world. Jesus says, I have revealed your name which, as we already know, is a signpost for God's character. Jesus has revealed to us exactly what God is like. In the message translation, this is translated as, I've spelled out your character in detail. And we can forget that full significance of Jesus and God being one sometimes. Sometimes there's this weird belief that while Jesus, yes, he's fully God, he's also somehow this new character that entered the story to clean up the mess that we created. And I've said this before, but sometimes we need to remind ourselves that Jesus was always plan A. Jesus was always the way. God, from the beginning of time, he knows who you are now. He knew you would become who you would become, and he knows what will come of you. But Jesus was always plan A. Jesus was always there. He's not a new idea that had to be interjected to clean up the mess that we made. Jesus was always there and will always be there. We often say this phrase in church circles. It's one of those phrases that's been passed down from the early church Jesus is Lord. You know, we say that prayer Jesus, I want you to be Lord over my life. But do you know what that phrase actually means and what the origin of that phrase actually is? Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. Jesus is I am. Jesus is constant. You know, in John 8, Jesus says, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You know, far too often in our attempts to, main, to maintain our reverence or our fear of God, what we actually do is we try to reduce him down into bite-sized pieces that we can understand. Have you ever felt like there's a difference in prayer when you pray to God the Father, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit? I remember having a conversation with someone who said, well, I only pray to God the Father because that's what Jesus did. The three are the same. There is no difference. It's like Jesus, like sometimes we have our Jesus box here. You know, Jesus is nice and kind and he's lovely and he comes and gives me a hug and makes me feel nice. We keep him over here and then we have the Holy Spirit box and that's for, that's for a good time. That's a Sunday night box. You know, not keep, keep that one tidied away. And then we have God the Father box and we set that back here somewhere. You know, God the Father, he loves me, but he's a little bit disappointed with how I've been acting. You know, he's, he's slow to anger, but I can still get him there. God the Father, we detach him and make him something else. But then we take the Jesus box and we place it in front of the God the Father box and it's okay because God the Father just looks at the Jesus box. He doesn't wanna see what I'm actually up to. He doesn't wanna see what I'm doing. He just looks at the Jesus box. And we create this God that is manageable, that fits into our daily lives, but at the same time, we create this God that is unattainable. And what's even worse is we create this God that is unrelatable, because he is not the God of the Bible. And this popular narrative that Jesus is like your older brother who stepped in to take the punishment from dad, so you wouldn't get hurt, it hurts us so much more than we really know. Because when we begin to understand who God is, that narrative could not be further from the truth. Jesus did not change God's attitude towards us. Jesus made the picture even clearer for us so that we could see what he is really like the God of society, the God that society tries to sell us is not the God of the Bible. Our God is a God of relationship. Our God is a God who responds to us. Our God is a God who interacts with us, who has actively been seeking to interact with us since the beginning of time. There's another passage in Exodus that I'm gonna finish on this morning if the worship guys wanna jump up. It's in Exodus 32, 7 to 14. It says, and the Lord said to Moses... I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded. They've made for themselves a golden calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent that he bring them out to kill them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Now this is Exodus. And we have this interaction between God and Moses where Moses gets God to change his mind. There's a lot that can be said about this. There's a theological debate that rages on as to whether did he actually change God's mind? Did God always plan it? Was God just giving him a piece of the puzzle and saying, oh, it's okay, you can have this one? There's a whole debate to go on that we can't go into. I'm sure everyone wants to go home and get lunch. But often people try to explain this away like that. People try to explain this passage to to say, well, God didn't really change his mind. He didn't really change, but the Bible says, and the Lord, which should be Yahweh, relented. God's anger burned against his people. Moses calls on his friend God and says, remember Abraham, remember Isaac, remember Israel, remember your name, remember your promise that you gave your people. You see, Moses knew God by name. Therefore, he had a voice in the relationship. And God says to Moses right before he shows him glory, shows him his glory and walks past him and declares his name. He says, you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. God and Moses knew each other by name. Isn't that a beautiful picture of who God is? And God wants that for all of us. He wants that we would know him by his name. God is not some lofty idea up in heaven. He's not some sort of code that we can crack to get blessings poured out on us, to impress him. This is a God of relationship. This is a God who responds. And that's the picture I want to leave you with this morning. Yahweh relented. Yahweh responded. Do you guys want to stand up as we get ready to worship? God, I just thank you that you are the God who will come down and meet us, God. That you are the God that listens to our voice. You are the God that wishes to know us by name. And this morning, God, we step into that We step into a place where we choose and we eagerly desire to know you by name. Yahweh, Yahweh. Gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love. Keeping love for thousands. God, we love you this morning. And we step into a place, God, where we seek greater relationship with you. Would you meet us this morning, God? Would you meet us? Would you open our hearts and our eyes this morning to know who you really are? Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit.
1: Gary said something, said a lot of things, but he talked about how we often can see God as the angry father back here. Jesus is the older son who is taking the punishment and the Holy Spirit who just, we meet on a Sunday night to give us a good time. And I really, and this should be all of us, but I want to invite you, I want to invite the ministry team forward. These guys are going to continue to play just in, quietly in the background. What we think of God and who we think God is like is is the single most important thing in our lives. And it's the thing that keeps us from coming close. And this should be all of us coming up this morning, but I want to invite you forward, and it's going to take you to be brave as these guys continue to play in the background. I want If you feel like there's anything that Gary spoke about this morning, then you just feel like you need prayer for it to... So that you can come closer to God. Maybe it's, you know, you have, a, you have a, not a healthy relationship with your dad or, you know, you, you know sibling rivalry, whatever it may be. that You want to become closer. You want God Emmanuel to come really close in your mind and your heart this morning. I want you to come forward. And that should be all. This. But if you're going to want to come, and I just want to invite you forward, just because we have a bit of time. Don't worry, your Sunday lunch will still be about. But I really feel we've got to press in and go, God, I want to be close with you. Do something in me this morning, Lord, that would just, just a wee shift that needs to, something needs to be removed, that, uh, a faulty belief system, Lord, that you just, I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to come and minister to you this morning, to minister to us all. That this morning we wouldn't just rush off, that we would know that God, he has a name, also wants to take up a greater residence in our hearts. That he isn't just a, a God at distance, but he's a God that comes close. And this morning, I don't want to invite that to you, you. Come, come now. You just, these guys are going to, uh, yeah, that's good. You just want, and these guys are going to go to you minister. Just as people come forward, these guys aren't going to stay in the rigid twos as we come forward. So you're like, Lord, I, how I see you, I, I need a change in my life. God help me to see you better. Help me to see you clearly. If you want, because guess what? We all need a shift in how we see God. That we don't just hear the word, we be prayed for, and that the word becomes set on our hearts this morning. Come on, don't worry. There'll be plenty of room. I want you to come forward. There's more people that will minister to you. That if that she. I want to I want to be I want to get a better insight of who you are this morning would you come forward and do that